This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 24 of Healthy Critters Radio (laughs) on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we talk with Lori Fawcett from Soundtrack Farms, a breeder of Australian shepherds. In critter nutrition, we're going to talk about supplements and science. Patty is going to challenge me with uveitis in Tigopedia. We're going to talk about Hedwig and what kind of costume she wants her human to wear. And in Coffee Clatch, we share some funny horse stories. Join us! Patty and Jennifer, I have to tell you something really funny. What? What did you do? I I have a new nickname. It's not Dingbat? A nickname has been bestowed on me. Really? Yes. <laughs> you want to know what it is? Oh, I can't, I can't wait. I'm on the I edge of my either. seat. Because if I nurse, didn't give it to you. What? Nurse Ratchet. Oh, For my god. Nurse Ratchet. Okay. They based that character on you. That's what I'd heard. <laughs> I can't wait to hear why. Well, do you know who Nurse Ratchet is? Yes, of course I do. Well, explain um, to those who do not. It, 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 she's uh, the main protagonist in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. And um, <laughs> she's pretty <laughs> wretched, which is why she's called Nurse Ratchet. Yes. Well, um, Kimasabi is on a diet. Aww. And, um, well, he needs to lose 10 pounds. <gasps> so, um, as I was instructing Peter all the don'ts, <laughs> to me and then he looked at the dogs and he said we're living with nurse ratchet (laughs) i'm sure they were just like oh i can't believe sabi has to lose 10 pounds that doesn't even make sense to me that's one third of sabi yeah uh it's like a quarter yeah (laughs) sabi's healthy he is but you know we want him to live a long life and You know, he's 70 plus pounds. Is he really? Yeah. So that's, there's, there's more dog pants. and less hair than I thought. He's a fatty yeah. pants. I tried to tell the vet it was hair, but he wasn't going to go for it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, that's so. so yeah. So I am, I am Nurse Ratchet now. Okay. So, so be careful. <laughs> I just think that you should let him eat the same amount and um and make him exercise more because Lord knows we get to see pictures every day. I love today uh, Crockett's picture today. Was is that not a happy dog? Oh, that's a happy dog. Well, it's a good looking dog. He's beautiful, and yeah. it's his father that is the father of the new litter, which is here. Yes, <laughs> yeah, which is already here. It's on the ground. And we're and we're speaking to the breeder today. We are. I'm really excited. Lori Fawcett of Soundtrack Farms is one of the top Australian shepherd breeders in the country. Cool. And she's a judge. She's a confirmation judge. She's a rally judge. She's an obedience judge. She's an agility judge. And she trains her dogs in all of those. So wow, pretty cool. Yeah, she's she's so fun to to talk to. Anyway, 
Um, cool. We're going to talk to Hedwig, and we're going to talk about uveitis. Right. And um, I'm going to go over uh, supplements and science, and then then we're going to end up with our favorite coffee clash with our funny horse stories. So Perfect. let's get going. All right, Nurse Ratchet, Jen, you ready? We're ready. <laughs> <laughs> This episode's special guest segment is brought to you by Warhorse, naturally aggressive and fiercely kind. I'm really excited to introduce Lori Fawcett of Soundtrack Farms. She's a breeder of Australian Shepherds. She is the breeder of four of my dogs. Um, who are all Aussies. If you've been on my Biostar Kimasabi Facebook page, all those dogs are the result of her breeding. Uh, Lori is not only a breeder, she is a licensed judge in confirmation, rally, obedience, and agility. And she trains dogs in confirmation, agility, obedience, and rally. She is a Hall of Fame breeder with the Australian Shepherd Club of America. That's limited to a small number of breeders who have created important foundation lines for the breed. So I'm really excited that that everyone is going to get to to listen to Lori because she knows a lot about dogs and especially about Aussies. And we're here with Lori Fawcett. Welcome to Healthy Critters, Lori. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Welcome. Um, Lori is um, the responsible for the fact that I have four Australian shepherds. <laughs> um, my addiction is totally because of her. But I'm, I'm just thrilled to have her for, for everyone to, to hear. She's so knowledgeable about dogs and particularly about Aussies. So, Lori, I want to start off with asking what drew you to the Australian shepherd breed? Their intelligence, they're people like traits. They're more like children than dogs for the most part. Um, they're very biddable and they're very snuggable. Mm. <laughs> snuggable. <laughs> I like that. Snuggable. <laughs> they're great with kids. They're good guardians. They, they can be whatever you'd really like them to be. So I know you've been breeding for, what, 40 years? 43 years. You're uh, an uh, Australian Shepherd Club of America Hall of Fame breeder. What do you, uh, describe a little bit about your breeding program and what um, what you work on in your breeding program to produce? Well, first and foremost is temperament and structure, sound mind. I like, of course, like I just mentioned, a biddable dog, a versatile dog. They are primarily a herding breed, so you want to keep the instinct intact. While not having too much instinct, you don't want them out there chasing horses, biting ankles, chasing kids. Right, right. Um, yeah. I like a good family dog that's responsive to commands and that likes to please. I breed for the moderate. Size Aussie. I don't breed for just what wins in the breed ring, but they will go in and win under knowledgeable judges that look for structure and temperament and movement. 
So when I um, interviewed with you <laughs> to, to get a dog, it, I, I don't think you could try to adopt a child and go through quite your interviewing process. <laughs> So, well, it's, actually, it's actually not that painful, but you and I had a lot in common, and yes, so we, we went off on a lot of tangents, but my interview process is, is normally a little shorter than what you went through, because we just got going, um, but I, I do start off with asking what type of an energy level dog, and how familiar they are with Australian Shepherds, or Whatever breed you might be looking at, you want to find a breeder that will ask these questions and not just give you a price for what you may be looking for. The coat color, eye color, that's only skin deep. You want the temperament and the personality and the energy level to match. So in order for a breeder to be able to match that, they've got to ask the questions if the people are not forthcoming in giving that information. The more I know about the person as far as what they've had in the past, what type of dog they're used to, um, where they want to go, what they want to do with the dog, helps me understand who may be available for that family. Yeah, I, you know, I love that. I love how you do that, even though my interviewing process felt I was afraid at some times that I wasn't going to measure up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but what... What what has been so amazing for me is that you have picked the right dog. Well, in one case, the dog really did pick me. But you are so good at matching the human with the dog, and and that is well, I you. think is a rare skill. And and because you used to train horses, I think our listeners who are mostly horse people can understand that ability to match a rider with a horse. That's mm-hmm. what Lori does with oh, dog right yeah well right well being an equine and canine behavior modification specialist has helped me a little bit in that area yeah i bet patty well so i have so many questions um <laughs> i <Uh-oh>. um <laughs> well i mean i have um tigger's dogs are near and dear to my heart um and i have my daughter actually has an australian shepherd that we we love um i i, uh-huh. I train train horses for a living. And I am currently really considering going with an Aussie for several different Yay! <laughs> and Tigger is, is helping so much. Um, I, uh, um, you know, Tigger already likes you. You don't have to try to smooth her more. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, well, she has to, she's family. She doesn't get rid of me, but, um, ah. <laughs> um, you know, one of the questions in my search is, um, and this is more for some of the listeners too, because, um, I have a very good friend that also has a, um, an Australian shepherd as well. And she loves him very much. And when people start to look and you get on the internet, you see there's miniature, um, Australian shepherds. Um, of course they go all the way down to toy and some, I saw one at a horse show that I couldn't even believe. I thought, I, I didn't even know what it was. And someone said, that's a toy Australian shepherd. I'm like, no, it's not. That is, I'm telling you, I, t- I know Tigger would not like you, <laughs> you know? And I guess one of my <laughs> questions is, um, is what is the, and, and really for the listeners too, because if they're considering this breed, um, what really is one of the main differences between um, a basic Australian shepherd that you have? And then when they start to go to miniatures, what was the purpose of the miniatures? My opinion? Yes. 
because everybody has its opinions, obviously. Right. The miniatures are not actually even called miniatures anymore. They're American Shepherds. Huh. Um, um, they are not recognized by AKC or Australian Shepherd Club of America, ASCA, mm-hmm. as purebred Australian Shepherds. Okay. So they bred them down in size, in my opinion, for the apartment folks that have a weight and size limit. Mm-hmm. They bred them down for a lot of complexes that have size and weight limits. Um, older folks possibly looking for a smaller dog. Um, but the problem is you really don't know which personality and temperament that you're getting right. out of one of those. I think And that's a, you can't tell me through a toy that they are still purebred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, that's, and I think that's going to help a lot of people that are listening because that was one of my number one questions when I was talking to Tigger. One of the things that I had learned uh, through one of the breeders I had contacted was, um, and Tigger helped me a lot with this too, is the differences in, in, you know, in the colors. There's obviously, I didn't know there was just a bi, but I guess there's a bi color, a tri color, and then you have your merrells. Is there's is there differences within the colors of the dogs with the their temperaments, do you find, or do you just find each puppy's individual color has nothing to do with it? Color is only skin deep. Okay. Just just like, well, some, some, some will say the redhead, um, as in some... Color differences, color hair differences in people. Mm-hmm. Um, redheads can be a little different, but right. not all redheads. Um, so the reds have not been as popular in the past. They're very popular now, the red merles and red tries. So the reds have come a long ways in their development, mm-hmm. whereas for the most part, the red merles and red tries are very comparable in temperament and personality as the blues and blacks. Okay. So, that's okay. yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm and so, sticking to it. <laughs> right, right, right. So, do you have a preference when you're breeding? Um, I mean, I'm not, I know you don't breed for just color. You're, you're, you don't do that, but um, I, I do not. Um, I, I've bred solid colors to solid colors. Um, I don't typically ever breed Merle to Merle because you can get the lethal white puppy. Right. Right. A lethal white gene, and it can be blind and or deaf. Right. So you want to look for, you know, what you want to look for in a breeder, because you said you're actively looking. You mm-hmm. want to make sure that they're doing the health test, that right. the puppies are guaranteed, that they're raised in the home, that they're given plenty of playtime and socializing, and not necessarily socializing with outside um, extremities, but just mess with. You don't right. want them raised in a barn um you don't want the breeder breeding the litter just to replace the hay in the barn for the winter right you want them actively actively protecting and trying to improve the breed right for their dogs preferably titling them letting people know that there is intelligence and herding ability in the line right okay so i just want to know when i can pick my puppy out <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was coming. <laughs> Yesterday? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we, we haven't completed your interview yet, but Tigger speaks very highly of you. Okay, good. Thanks, Tiggs. <laughs> You're welcome. P- perfect. Well, Tigger, do I get the 20 bucks now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. That's right. <laughs> 
Well, that, that uh, all of this is such a good, good information. And of course, I kept telling Tigger I was so excited to talk to you because I, all I've ever heard about is um, you and your breeding program for a very long time. Well, and Tigger loves her dogs. And if, let's all face it, we all get to see pictures of them every single day, which is one of my highlights. <laughs> well, now I owe Tigger 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, well, I appreciate it. And I thank you. But it really goes for any breed that they may be looking at. Make sure that the breed fits. Make sure that the breeders are in it for the breed. You know how many times I hear the, oh, I want to breed. Now I need to find the right breed. Now I need to find a breed to breed. Well, why are you breeding if you're not in love with the breed? Mm-hmm. That just doesn't make, that's just breeding for money and that's just wrong. And I certainly don't ever sell Christmas puppies for people wanting them under the tree Christmas morning. Right. Um, whether I have litters available or not, my ads usually come down. If I'm even advertising, most of mine go from word of mouth or referrals or right. people that have, like Tigger, have had one or three. Um, <laughs> yeah, before. So people that are breeding and have lots of litters and things like that at Christmas time. And, you know, they're not asking the questions. And the other thing is make sure that you can pet the mom while she's got the puppies. Make sure you can see the facilities. Make sure that you can see where the puppies are raised. And how they react to different people and things like that. Right. And make sure you the know, first the question things- isn't, well, what sex do you want? And what, you know, how much money do you have? Yeah. One of the things that I really loved when I, when I went to actually visit Lori and see, the, see her, her home and her dogs was she had this great big book that, that went back to, you know, the early part of her breeding program, the, the foundation dogs. And it was so cool to see that the puppy that in my lap is the result of 42 years of really knowing her dogs. Yeah. Um, that was, uh, that really was so cool. It really bonded. It was, it was like going to a, a warm blood breeder and, you know, they say, well, he's by this, which goes to this, which goes to this dog, sire. And, th- and, and horse people are very attuned to that. And I noticed yeah. that Aussies are getting way more popular among horse people. So, of course, I well, think so many times somebody will just buy two registered Aussies and breed them without really checking into the pedigree. And they don't know what's behind them because right, they just yeah. bought them. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people, you know, they're not doing the research and, and it's, it's, um, uh, what's the, what's the saying? I will tell you if you ask, but otherwise I'm not forthcoming. Right. That's bad. Yeah. yeah. You want to know the good, the bad, the ugly of what's been produced. I have not had to change lines or, you know, I bring, I brought in outcrosses from here and there, but I researched those outcrosses and, there are crosses that I've also known for many years. Right, right. Yeah, that's yeah, important. It's, yeah, it's, it takes so much to be conscientious, doesn't it? I mean, it just, it's so time yeah. consuming and to stay committed for that long is so admirable. And um, Bree- just, yeah, breeding is not for the faint of heart. It, yeah. it, it, it dwells on you. It's not the yeah. easiest thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so. And, well, you know, you one thing right. I want to mention, um, Patty, is that, if you get a dog from Lori, if ever a, a, an issue comes up or you have a question or da 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 
She is so good. She's not just selling you a dog. You're sort of becoming part of Lori's extended yeah. dog family. Well, I mean, and that's I been apparent. That. Yeah, that's been apparent since the first time you got a puppy. Um, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I mean, you've all you've and that and that's again, that's so admirable because you know if you if you do have. Um, I mean, that becomes very time consuming if something does go wrong. It's always great to hear the good things about when puppies do well and all the wonderful pictures. And let's face it, Tigger has a lot. (laughs) 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 But, um, you know, that's a time consuming thing. And that just shows commitment to your breeding program and your dogs, which is just awesome. Okay. Well, uh, one thing I want to say is uh, Lori's website is in sad need of um, (laughs) a refurbishing. (laughs) So if you well, want to get and, and that's of- the other thing is do not judge a breeder by the website because those that are usually spending so much time marketing are not spending it with the dogs. Oh yeah, well exactly, exactly. So her um, her no, there are her, people um, that have people upkeep of website, so I can't say that in stone, right? You know, but um, if if they've got pictures and prices up. Um, they've got that website to sell puppies. Right. My my website is to display the the heritage of the dogs. Right. And what we're doing. Although, and, like she said, it is outdated. Yeah. Well, it's okay because I'm. I just so you know, I've already uh, I've already friended you, so I'm expecting as soon as we're done that I can look at more puppy pictures. Well, and with Facebook now, websites. I mean. Most of all, my stuff is up on my Facebook page, which is under my name. So I forget about the website Yeah, with Facebook nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, I'm kind of the same way because I, my Facebook, my, or excuse me, my website is uh, in bad need as well. So you and I are in the same boat. <laughs> so you can go to um, healthycrittersradio.com, go to our website and um, we will have Lori's information there and you can contact her, um, about her wonderful, fabulous, incredible dogs. Thank you, Lori. We'll have to have you come back and talk about, uh, dog behavior and training. Oh, that will be fun. Yes. Awesome. It was so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. We know that cleaners and products we use have a great impact on the well-being of our families, our animals, our farms, and the earth. Warhorse works to offer our customers naturally aggressive and fiercely kind cleaners that provide effectiveness, versatility, and value. And Warhorse does this with special combinations of simple, humble, but extraordinary plant oils that have no pesticides, no metals, no glyphosate, no petroleum, no sulfate ingredients, and no genetically modified organisms. Warhorse's equine pet and people soaps use an exclusive raw sunflower oil that retains its waxes, lecithin, and vitamin E. And add some skin-loving avocado, coconut almond, and dead sea minerals, and you've got a buffet of healthy benefits for your farm family. All Warhorse cleaners are naturally aggressive on dirt and grime and fiercely kind to the most sensitive skin, even our pure gold and multi-purpose cleaners. So go ahead, get in the mud and get dirty. Warhorse has got your clean, a Warhorse kind of clean. Warhorse products are available at Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com or call us direct 
Danielle. Hi, Hetty. Tiggers, Patty, and Jennifer. <gasps> I'm so honored you remembered my name, Hetty. <laughs> it's not whether it's your name, it's whether it's sometimes Glenn. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, my name does change. You are correct. <laughs> no, no. No, no. Your name is always Jennifer. I think. Do you have an alien? <laughs> Some, sometimes my alter ego is Glenn, yes. <laughs> really? Well, that's unusual and no doubt interesting for you. Yes, it is. <laughs> but not nearly as interesting as you are, Hetty. True that. Well, it's, you know, a challenge. <laughs> well, we've got an important question for you here this evening, Hetty, and we won't waste a lot of time because I know you have important things to take care of. But it is the season of trick-or-treat and wonderful costumes. So we want to know what Halloween costume you are choosing this year for your human servant. <laughs> oh, for the servant? <laughs> Oh, so I should take her out of her traditional uniform then? It, That's what we're it thinking. Is, it is traditional this time of year, yes. Oh. Do I, I sometimes at Christmas I allow her to wear a slightly less formal outfit? Less formal? Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yes. I mean, if you're going to be caretaking for me... Obviously, you are obligated to wear my livery. Oh, <laughs> of course. And, 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 and really, describe, describe to us your livery. Oh, no problem. So, <laughs> the human servant always is required to wear a pair of trousers that are appropriately colored in gray oh. or brown, but I don't like the brown as much. I really prefer the, the gray or the black. Black is acceptable, but they must be a faded black. Uh, so as to demonstrate that she is not really allowed to have access to nice things. And then a tailored shirt is required at all times because I there's just nothing I dislike more than a slummy looking servant. You know, a tailored shirt button down no wrinkles, with a nice collar, buttons cuffs. This is how we roll, people. This is how we roll. <laughs> and then in cooler weather, the servant is permitted to wear a jacket of some sort, zip-up jacket, fitted, not too tight so as to be inappropriate. We are not trying to shake our booty. <laughs> and it can be a woolly sort of jacket. But it must not be anything but dark blue or black in order to, or there's one which I have permitted, it required a rule change that is dark green, but it was a gift from our friend Beth. And so in order to allow the servant to accept this gift, which was so kind of our friend Beth to even consider the servant for a moment that I allow the servant to wear it because, you know, out of real honor for our friend who thought of the servant. <laughs> so if you could dress her up as anything for Halloween, I mean, what would, what would be your pleasure? Well, I mean, obviously there are two options. 
One would be to really go super femme in her look and allow the sort of things we don't normally encourage in this household, such as high heels and stockings and makeup. Perhaps go-go boots would be a look. Go-go boots. Something from and the And a mini 70s. skirt. Okay, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, a tube top or something inappropriate. So that would be an awkward look on her. <laughs> a tube top. <laughs> And then she could go as a streetwalker, which is what she probably would be without my excellent influence. And then the other option would be that we could dress her up as a snowman because she's sort of round and she could wear just a nice big white floppy suit and go trundling around and bring home lots of candy for me. Oh, I think you're onto something there, Hedwig. Yeah, yep. yeah. I think I think dogs throughout the country should should really take heed and, and take your human. advice. Yeah, yeah. Trust their human as I a did, snowman. I I know for a fact that my dogs would like dress me up as a milk bone or a <laughs> big bone. <laughs> I don't think I it's like appropriate to dress boots. your servant as something you're going to eat. That might okay. be a little creepy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Totally Inappropriate. Yeah. Inappropriate. Okay. <laughs> Gotcha. I, I, the but, you know, the boots, really in with the go-go boots. Yeah. I, I think I'll have well, to wear that with my Chewbacca costume. Absolutely. There, there we go. Well, thank you very, I, very much. Thanks, Hedy. We thanks, appreciate Eddie. your time. Oh, of course. No problem. Have a happy Please Halloween. have a lovely week. Thank you, you too. too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. So we're at the Tigopedia portion of our show, and I have a good question for you, Tigs, and it's something that you and I have worked on before together. Um, uveitis. Um, tell me, I, well, well let's, we can explain what uveitis is. Well, I'll let you do that. And, um, and we, I had a horse years ago, or Hannah did, and um, <clears throat> when we found out that he um, had uveitis and we were able to really help him through different things with foods. Remember that? I do indeed. You do indeed. Um, so why don't we explain to the listeners what it is exactly what uveitis is? I want to know. I want to know. (laughs) (laughs) It's an, an inflammation of the uveal tract of the eye. Right. I'm sure that you, you know what that is. What is the uveal (laughs) tract? It's the iris. Um, and, uh, it's the anterior uvea and the posterior uvea that includes or consists of the iris. Right. And it can be very, very painful. Extremely painful. Yeah. And their eye can get a little cloudy and, um, and it's interesting because how, how it came about is, um, my daughter had a, a, a horse that, um, I guess I can't even remember how it came about, Tigger. You may remember better than me, but he had a couple, he had an incident where his eye just got a little cloudy and they, you know, came and looked at it and they said, it's just a poly about of uveitis. And I think we just probably did whatever we did. And then it really kept coming back. And that's when yeah, we, that's a just... different disease. That's Wait. actually, um, the recurrent. Right. So uveitis. does that, is that, so what's that? 
So that uveitis is a, an immune mediated problem. Right. The immune system is attacking the eye. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when it becomes chronic, right? That um, now you're looking at um, recurrent uveitis, which can eventually lead to moon blindness and right, blindness. right. Okay, yeah. So okay, so that so. But sometimes horses just have uveitis and then they never have it again. Right. You know, and sometimes it's it's because of trauma. You know, they right. hit their eye, um, all, corneal ulcers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's it's an it's any any insult to the eye can result in this inflammatory response. Right. And it could be bacterial, virus, viral. You know, sometimes. Well, and also because that affect the eye that way. And also worm load. Do you remember that? That was the first time I had ever learned this. Um, is that chronic uveitis, which eventually goes can go to moon blindness, has a lot yeah. to do with worm load, which I, which, um, I'm still not sure I completely understand that. Which you know goes into a whole other thing. But um, but what were what were some of the things that we did? Um, well, we we went. You know, the vet, I, I think, was doing steroids and mm-hmm. anti-inflammatories and treatments that dilate the pupil. Right. We had to keep him in the dark and couldn't have yeah. light. Um, and then I went about it from how to support the immune system. Right. So um, Hannah was making, you know, kind of smoothies, really. Right. Yeah. With blueberries and pomegranate Mm -hmm. and coconut oil um, just to support the body's immune system. Yeah. Um, Lionheart um, had uveitis from an an injury to his eye a couple of years ago. And so, you know, we were, you know, you have to treat the eye like, you know, five times a day with this goo, which they don't really like. And, you know, the vet said, you know, in 24 to 48 hours, you know, it it should improve. And she came back and it was, it it hadn't improved at all. And I was going, okay, we're we're missing some. He's getting the anti-inflammatories. He's getting the goop in the eye. And I guess we did, we did another, some other eye. There was two eye treatments. And I thought, you know, Okay, I've got to deal with the immune system. So I went with colostrum. Mm-hmm. Simple, easy to do. In 24 hours, that eye improved. 24 wow. hours. That's amazing. And he pulled out of that uveitis and he's never had a problem since. Oh, that's awesome. So when anybody tells me that they their horse has, you know, just been diagnosed with uveitis or is fighting uveitis, that is my go to. There is, is colostrum. Is bovine colostrum. Okay. That's good to know. That's good to know because I, I don't, I, at that point, obviously, I don't think we did that. But, and of course, we didn't Hannah's, have that. We didn't, right, right. I didn't really know about bovine colostrum then. Yeah. And now, and, and so why don't we explain what the bovine colostrum does? Because that will be helpful too. Do you know what the bovine colostrum does? Well, I thought, um, I thought it supported the, um, immune system. 
or help boost immune system. And for some reason, no, it regulates it, regulates it. Okay. So that's really important. And I'll tell you why. If the immune system is already attacking the eye, you don't want to increase it. Good point. So any immune product that increases the immune system would not be a good thing for uveitis. Okay. So what makes colostrum so unique is it regulates. So if the body is in a hyper immune state, it brings it back to homeostasis. If the body is underperforming, in other words, the immune system is not getting at the virus or bacteria or at any other kind of um, low response immune, bovine colostrum kicks it into gear. Gotcha. Okay. That's, that's all. It's just, it is amazing. And it's just so amazing too. Now, do you, um, do you understand if you take, if it does get into more of a moon blindness? Cause I mean, obviously that can be a very chronic, painful thing and whatever, but um, do you understand the relationship between um, the worm load um, if you have a high shedding horse, um, and what that basically means, obviously, is that if you do a fecal on your horse and they tend to shed shed more than a normal horse, which should be a low shedder, which, you know, depending on what your worming protocol is, you don't have to, you know, t- they say you don't have to worm as much. And this particular horse we had was a high shedder. And that's how we found out that the high shedder was one that was going to be more prone to the uveitis going into a moon blindness. Now, that's very interesting. Yeah. And I, and we, and then eventually the horse, we went on to an eye specialist, um, as well. And they said the same thing. And I really, um, I honestly do not remember what that correlation was, but it is, it's good. You know, it's good to keep your horses warm, I guess, well, <laughs> you know, I well, I think right. it's good to get fecals done. I, yeah. I fecals, read, fecals, yes. Worming causes a lot of problems. I exactly. Recently that neck thread worms may be the culprit there. Really? If I remember right, I read, and, and listeners, let us know on Facebook if I'm wrong. Maybe we'll have somebody yeah. come on and talk about it. If I remember right, neck thread worms can migrate to the eye. That wow. Yeah. Doesn't mean do- always, but can. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. That just neck thread worms have been in the headlines of of late. So I had, I'd read an article on Interesting. it. Interesting. I didn't okay. know all this, cool, this stuff about, I thought uveitis was uveitis. Uveitis. There's. There's a lot of subtleties involved. It's sort of a mm-hmm. uveitis is is the blanket term. Correct. For, it's kind of like colic. Colic is the blanket term, and then there's lots of things that yeah. fall underneath of that. I didn't know all that stuff, and I and bovine colostrum is the regulatory agency. Yeah, for your horse's yes. immune system. Yeah, and I I don't have any you know proof of this, but I think it helped the drugs work better. I mean, uh, really, in 24 hours, that eye had improved 50%. Wow. And the vet said, wow, he's really good today. And I went, yeah, I gave him bovine colostrum. She said, "Interesting." Huh? I said, yeah, bovine colostrum. Interesting. Hmm. Well, that's good to know. I mean, that's, you know, and, and the other thing I wanted to, to mention too, um, Tigger, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things that you had encouraged Hannah to do was the 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 deep, the dark colored fruits like the pomegranate and the blueberries, uh, because that did help with inflammation. Is that right? Yes. It helps a lot with inflammation. Yeah. Um, Anyway, it was, and and the horse loved, I mean, the horse loved the smoothies, loved the smoothies. We liked them too. (laughs) (laughs) 
But um, and then of course the good old good old coconut oil. Who does? How many uses, Tig? It's got to be. A oh yeah, hundred uses. The book is coming soon. <laughs> it will be out in the Kindle version next month. Yeah, I know that that that's yeah. Oh, the things that I we we could think of for 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 um, coconut oil well, for sure. As usual, Tigopedia, fascinating, great stuff. Yep. And uh, thanks for bringing that up. Not a problem. This is Critter Nutrition, and we're going to talk about science and supplements. Recently, a report on calcium supplements was made public. This is not the first time researchers have taken a deeper look into ingredients and supplements, but the conclusion of this calcium study echoes the conclusion on supplemental vitamin E, beta-carotene, lutein, and broccoli supplements. The calcium study was a federally funded study at Johns Hopkins University and analyzed 10 years of medical tests on 2,700 people, concluded that taking calcium in the form of supplements may raise the risk of plaque buildup in arteries, but that a diet high in calcium-rich foods appears to be protective. The report on the research was published October 10th, 2016 in the Journal of the American Heart Association. John Anderson, PhD from the University of North Carolina and co-author of the report said, quote, there is clearly something different in how the body uses and responds to supplements versus intake through diet that makes supplements riskier, end quote. A 1994 study published in the New England Journal of Medicine found that 29,000 Finnish men that were smokers and given beta carotene or placebo for five to eight years were more likely to die from lung cancer or heart disease taking beta-carotene supplements. A review published in 2005 in the Annals of Internal Medicine found that in 19 trials of nearly 136,000 people that supplemental vitamin E increased mortality. In 2011, a study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association tied vitamin E supplements to an increased risk of prostate cancer. A study published in the Advances in Nutrition in 2014 found that in assessing the efficacy of lycopene supplements versus tomato products on cardiovascular disease, quote, there was more support for consuming tomato products versus taking a lycopene supplement daily for improvements in lipoproteins, lipids, and protein and DNA from oxidative damage, end quote. The Journal of Agriculture and Food Chemistry published a study in October 2011 highlighting that broccoli as a food has more of the critical enzyme myrosonase than broccoli supplements. This enzyme is critical in breaking down glucosinolates, which have been suggested to be powerful anti-cancer agents. So let's look at the whole perspective. These studies highlight what Biostar has been saying for a decade. Whole food provides the best nutrition. The New York Times published a piece on November 5th, 2007, that looked at whole food versus individual nutrients. In the article was a quote from a nutrition researcher, Dr. R. Jacobs from the University of Wollongong in Australia. Quote, every food is much more complicated than any drug, end quote. He believes that nutrition science needs to consider the effects of food synergy. The notion that health benefits of foods aren't coming from a single nutrient, but rather a combination of compounds that work better together than apart. The narrow focus on single nutrients 
stems from the earliest days of nutrition research, but attributing health benefits to a single compound is proving to be more unbalancing to the body than beneficial. So let's look at horses and dogs and humans. Although no studies have been done on isolated vitamins and nutrients for horses and dogs, we can extrapolate that real food, which is arguably better for human health, is also better for equine and canine health. Perhaps if you have called to ask a bio, about a Biostar supplement, you have heard me ask this question, what kind of diet is your horse or dog on? Because for me, that is the beginning and foundation of health. It is the starting point of rebalancing the body not adding more supplements. Since we don't always have access to organic foods for our horses and dogs or herbicide-free hay, the kind of supplementation we use becomes even more important. With isolated nutrients not from food, we can create a new imbalance while trying to rebalance the body system. The absorption and bioavailability of isolated nutrients also demands higher amounts, what is known in the industry as megapotency. We are conditioned to believe that more is better, but in supplementation, particularly not from food, this is not the case. In food, there are no megapotencies of nutrients. In an orange, you will never find 500 milligrams of ascorbic acid. Real food may not be as convenient as processed foods, may take a little more time each day, a little more thought, but I believe that we and our horses and dogs are worth it. I feel inspired. So interesting. I know. It's so interesting. You do? <laughs> real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. Okay, so we are at our Coffee Clatch segment of the show, and both Jennifer and Tigger and myself are going to share good, funny horse stories. <laughs> and because I'm running this segment, which I've made very clear, <laughs> I think we're going to start with Jennifer. Oh, <laughs> awesome. It's going to go like that, is it? <laughs> well, that's the only time I'll do it, I promise. <laughs> All right. Well, these, these, are ha these have to be horse stories with happy endings. That was the... Uh, right, yes. It. Absolutely. Okay. Well, this is this is a story from my childhood. I gr I grew up a little bit redneck. Okay. And we came into the barn one morning to find that one of our ponies was uh, a wall. His little oh. door was open, and he wasn't in his stall. <laughs> and we couldn't find him anywhere. It was a very large bank barn with three three separate aisleways. It was shaped sort of like a giant E main aisleway, and three that moved off of that. Went up and down every single aisle, 
couldn't find our pony anywhere. And the door, all the barn doors were closed when we got there. All the exterior barn doors. We were in a panic. The whole family was in a panic. Mom, dad, six kids. <laughs> all in a panic because we couldn't find our pony. And we were fixing to go up to the house and call the police because we were pretty sure our pony had been stolen. Oh, yes. And just before we connected with the local police department, <laughs> someone got the clever idea that we should maybe feed the rest of the barn full of horses who were making a terrible racket um, because we hadn't fed them when we got there. So they went back to the back of the barn to our giant three-ton bulk feed bin. It held three tons of feed. Came oh, down from the oh, ceiling and no. had a little, a little thingy in there. Went back there. And the, the person who went back there pulled the little slide that lets the feed come down the chute <laughs> into the bin. And what did he see right there next to the slide to open the feed bin? But a little pony's butt. The stolen pony. The stolen <laughs> pony had lodged himself behind the three-ton feed bin and could not get out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Luckily for the pony, he had lodged himself in there head first and also could not binge on the three tons of oh feed. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yay. Oh my gosh. Saved his life. Oh, my gosh. And uh, about an hour and a half later, they had extricated this this pony from behind the three-ton feed bin. And, uh, yeah, he got a a little snap on his stall after that. (laughs) Oh, boy. You know, they're the Jack Russell Terriers of the equine world. Oh, they are. Have you guys seen that? that It's a recent Facebook thing that's been going around uh, this last uh, day of all, like, all of these ponies dumping these kids. I mean, it's like. Oh, yeah, it's so funny. But it's sort of like. It's so obviously purposeful where, you know, they just all of a sudden stop and they buck. My favorite is the one with the little kid that's jumping and the horse, the pony just stops and puts his head down and just sort of very slowly lets a kid roll off in front of him. Oh, my gosh. It's too funny. That's how I learned to jump. (laughs) Was on a pony that was owned by Bill Steinkraus. It was his pony. Oh, wow. His pony was ancient by the time I came along, right? (laughs) And the reason that they use this pony to teach kids how to jump is because if you got too forward. Oh, no. Yeah. His name was Foxtrot. He would stop and over you went. And you did that enough times and you went, okay, maybe I should just wait. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because when you're a kid and you fall off, it's like, "Eh, so what? Hop back on. You know, you're a little bit like a bouncing ball. And yeah. that's oh, what yeah. Foxy used to do is, and then if you just stayed right there, and then when he jumped over the little cross rail and you went with him, n- he never stopped. But if you oh. got forward, he was <laughs> history. <laughs> and teaching you a lesson. Yeah. Oh, that's too funny. Ponies. I, I never got to ride ponies. Um, Jennifer, you don't know this, but I'm relatively tall. I'm like 5'10". So ponies were, well, and when I do ride ponies, it's not, <laughs> they were probably it's small not. horses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I have a pony story, a funny okay. pony story. All right. And this pony was a Chincoteague pony. And her name was Tiffany. And the owners brought her to the farm to, to the, the, they were selling their place and moving and into a condo. And so they were going to board her. And she, when she came here was about 31 or 32 years old. So basically they said, 
this pony is not long for this world. And, you know, we just want, you know, make sure that you can bury her and blah, blah, blah. Well, 10 years later, (laughs) of course, (laughs) that pony is still with us, right? But by this time, she basically had no teeth. She didn't have very good eyesight and she was pretty deaf. So (laughs) she couldn't live out with the big horses anymore. So she had her own stall. And when the big horses would go out in the paddock, we just let her like loose around the the barnyard and then she started migrating to the house and you know being on the lawn and she was like our little lawn ornament she didn't go anywhere she didn't do anything and I thought it was immensely funny and she liked it so we had to start telling the truck drivers who were you know UPS and you know uh, the the mailman you know there is this pony and she doesn't hear very well. So don't honk at her. And, Mm. you know, she just is allowed to do this. And then at night she knows to go into her stall. Well, so they all knew her and we stopped calling her Tiffany. We called her grandma. Mm. So every morning you'd let grandma out and off she'd go be in the yard. Da 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 da. Well, one day the UPS guy comes and he drops off a package and he, he drives down back down the driveway and the driveway is about a quarter of a mile long and it makes a circle around the house first and sort of comes to a point and he's driving down there and there uh, there is another car you cannot pass and this is an old driveway there's no way two cars can pass and there's this big truck it's a, a pickup truck it's a vet truck the vet is honking the horn He's out of the truck, honking, one hand honking the horn. There is grandma standing in the middle of the driveway. And he's trying to get somebody's attention that, oh, my God, you've got a loose horse. And the UPS guy yells out to the vet, hey, don't worry about it. That's just grandma. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> oh my god! Now, Patty, you didn't grow up with horses in the backyard, did you? No, no. I didn't. Because um, we had the same I, thing. We had a grandma pony that walked around the backyard. Yeah. Well, it's funny because um, this was not a story I had even thought of, and this is the best story of all. And Tigger See? will. Yeah, I told you it would happen. I knew it would. But on our farm in Virginia, which my in-laws still live on, it's a 400-acre farm, and you would drive in the driveway. It was about it was a mile driveway, and the last yeah last quarter mile of it was you know you would descend into the farm, which was surround was sort of like a kind of like a valley, and it was it's beautiful. Um, And on one side is a uh, a drop of like 42 feet, and on the other side is this pond. And we had a horse. It was my first, uh, very first mother. My mother-in-law's very first horse. His name was Thunder, and um, Thunder D was a horse that I taught off of when um, I worked at a farm called Barkley Farms in um, Marlton, New Jersey. And anyway, my mother-in-law bought him. That was the first horse she bought. He was 24 years old. Thunder lived till he was 46. <laughs> but the great thing about Thunder, when he was done being ridden. 
we would, um, th- as you come into the farm, off to the right is what we referred to as the hill field. And Thunder at this point was a babysitter. He would take care of all the babies we were breeding or, you know, whatever. He just would be the babysitter. And he became, he was so, so incredibly cool. Whoever was working for us would stop uh, as they were driving in because the where there his field was was right at the base of where you kind of entered the valley part of the farm. They would stop. They would open the gate let thunder out and then they would drive to the barn then they would go into the barn go about their business and it was 20 stall barn and at any one of the 20 stalls and it would vary but he had thunder had a blue bucket and in his blue bucket was his grain and we would dump his grain into his stall but then leave the bucket in front of whatever stall he was going to go in for that day for and a lot of times we'd keep the same stall but we would change it because i figured he was old we wanted to keep his mind going (laughs) But before he would go, and this is all, this is all so incredibly true. Not one part of this is fabricated. So, but before he would go into the barn, he would come into my front yard where he would graze for at least an hour because he would wait for me to come out with the girls because I'd be bringing them to school. And we would all pat him on the head, get in the car and go. And after that, Thunder would meander into the barn and find wherever his bucket was and go into that. Wow. True story. And then, but, and you have to keep in mind, I mean, we were a mile off the road, but we left him loose 99% of the time during the day. We'd put him up at night because he just wanted to be out. But Tigger, I'm sure you don't remember too well, but when you would drive in off to the right, we, we had what we referred to as the shack. Well, the shack had a porch and it was just, it looked like the shape of what a trailer home would be. It was like that sort of kind of a long building, but the whole front of it was a porch, which my mother-in-law put AstroTurf on because sometimes Thunder would want to stand on the porch because it was raining. <laughs> this is all very true. Now, this very is own cabin. He had his very own cabin. And I had working students that lived in the house. But the funny part of this whole story is, is that he never pooped on the porch. He would turn and poop off the porch. And then <laughs> it was amazing. Like, and at the time that this was all happening, I never really thought about, like, I thought, isn't this funny that we do this? But what really blew me away was when Avery College, um, uh, one of my best friends in the world, Ginger Henderson, runs Avery College. And she would bring um, kids to, to view, you know, come and see different farms and whatever. And, of course, it didn't dawn on me when she was coming to put the 46-year-old horse up. <laughs> So they came in all of their cars and that one big bus and they drive in and they're all like, um, Miss Henderson, there's a horse on the front porch. <laughs> and I, you know, of course, here I am trying to be some like big wig of, yes, I'm a dressage trainer and I do this and I do that. And they're like, yeah, but what about the horse that's on the front porch? Yeah. What about the Beverly Hills horse on the porch? Yeah. Beverly Hills yeah. hillbillies. There yeah. you go. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. But the best part of the whole thing was then years later, um, Jane Faulkner, who had come one of the times to do the thing, and of course, Thunder was just meandering around the property and the kids all thought it was the greatest thing in the world took a picture of him standing um out uh at the end of the aisleway because he was just had just finished his probably his lunch or his dinner and he was meandering back out to stand on the porch and she took a picture of him and um sent it to me about two years later after he died so i i got to have this great picture of thunder you know me and he never went anywhere different he never he never changed any and we probably did that for five years oh Oh, grandma just lived in wandering around the lawn around the house for at least five years. Isn't that just, yeah, it's, it's just, or, well, she'd wander a little bit down the driveway, right? But and stop the vet, 
but oh, it's just so funny and they're, great. They're just so sure. great. Oh, yeah, so exactly. Funny. Look at that. Oh, that's, that's so funny. funny. That's, so maybe, uh, so maybe let's this know what funny horse stories. Yeah, we want funny uh, horse yeah, stories. And maybe have. they can post funny if they have uh, some beautiful old pictures of their old horses. They can post those. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, we want to see your, see your senior citizens on the Facebook page. <laughs> yes, we yeah, do. that's right. Exactly. Plenty of ponies. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, let's wrap this things up, ladies. Alrighty. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Rap with your raptor. Go chip and wa- <laughs> Chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox. While hedging with your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Why, g- gyrating with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. And ponder with your panda. (laughs) 